Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. So excited to, to jump in. We've been in a, a new series entitled Soul Hungry. And uh, if this is your first time, so grateful you are in the house. My name is Matt. My wife, Jack, and I, we pastor this great group of people called Fountain Church. And uh, we're just truly grateful that you're here today. Um, I, I want to speak to you for a few moments around this idea of here I am. Look at your neighbor and say, here I am. Look at your second choice and say, here I am. And let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I thank you so much for our time together. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a way that only you can. God, that by the power of your spirit, through your word, God, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds to the truth and the reality of who you've called us to be, that your purpose would prevail in our life, that we would see you clearly today in a very special and real way, that we wouldn't just play church, but encounter you. And Lord, we thank you for our time together. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, uh, so excited. I've been so excited to preach. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks, so if I'm just like going for it, just give me a pass, all right? Um, but but this, this month was really interesting. We, uh, we came across a house for sale in Livermore that was a four-bedroom uh, in the $400,000 range. Come on, that's a miracle, right? Yeah, it, it gets better. And so, so we weren't even looking for a house. Um, I, I mean, it's like a million dollars to buy a house in Dublin, right? <laughs> or, or Pleasant It's just, it's so crazy. And it's like a two-bedroom. It's like a million dollars. Um, and so we, we were not on the market for a house, but my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law have been um, just doing some research. They've been trying to purchase some land and, and some things like that. And they came across this house that uh, she pointed to Jack, she pointed out to Jackie, and it was it was a four-bedroom house in Livermore on 25 acres. I was like, what? So Jackie called me real quick. She's like, babe, she's like, there's a house on Zillow for four, I think it was 480,000 on 25 acres. I was like, babe, that thing is gone. That, in Livermore, it's gone. And so, but she, she, she sent me the link and I saw that it was on Zillow for 40 days. I said, come on, Lord. You know, you kind of get all spiritual, you see these biblical numbers, and you're like, man, something is in this. So that was, that was a Thursday, and so I called the realtor on Friday, and it turns out that she is also a believer, and she was so excited. She's like, yeah, it's still available. I said, how is it still available? Like, What's wrong with it? She said, no, I just haven't done an open house with it, you know, yada, 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 so I didn't want to take any offers. So I was, she said, are you interested? I said, well, kind of, yeah, um, sure. And uh, so... Long story short, she said, you're going to need to get pre-approved, and uh, it's like an agriculture loan, and so you're going to have to, like, do, figure out a couple things. And, and so, uh, so Thursday, uh, found out. Friday, talked to the realtor. Saturday, pre-approved. Went and saw it on Sunday, made an offer, and they accepted it, right? Don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. There's a caveat. Appreciate the celebration, but there's a caveat. So, so the more that we kind of got into it, things started to reveal themselves. And, uh, and it, I mean, it's a great spot, but it needed a lot, lot of work. And, uh, and it turns out that, uh, you know, the, the, the loans that we were trying to qualify for in Alameda County would have been great, um, but it sits right over the line of the San Joaquin. But it was pr- promoted kind of like Alameda because five acres are in Alameda. But the house itself is on the right over the line. So that changes a lot of things, right? 
And so it was like, okay, well, maybe we can, you know, just see where it's going to go. And, and then we started digging a little bit more. And, and one of the inspectors came out and said, hey, man, he said, you know, this is a really interesting property because it's about 16 miles deep into Mines Road. If you know where Mines Road is, go take Del Val and go like another 10 miles in, right? So we said, you know, there, there's country living, and then there's like pioneer living and settler living, right? He said, this is, this is kind of like that. And we're like, man, we don't care. Like, we will. But because there was no, there's no commute, there's never any traffic. So it was like, man, we'll do a windy road for a few years, right? This would be a legacy house. And so, you know, we, we did all of our due diligence. I mean, we, we sent our picture and we, we, we sent how, you know, a nice letter to the, to the owners and they, they accepted our, our offer. But all these little things started to pop up. And so we were like, okay, maybe we can navigate through some of these things. But then the water. So it's, you know, it's on a well and a septic, which we're cool with that. We've lived on a, on a well with a well before. And, and you know, this, this is, you got to understand, this is Jackie's dream. Like, like this country, this farm living, like she wants goats, chickens, the, the whole not. Not so much my dream, but it's her dream. <laughs> and so, so as, as we started to get into it, we started to realize that the water was only producing a gallon and a half of water per minute from the well. Now, now, for those of you guys who don't know much about wells, bare minimum for a family of five is like five gallons a minute. Like we have a friend that's on a well. They get 14 gallons a minute, and their showers are still like every other day. So, so one and a half gallons a minute, that, that's like, hey, guys, it's Friday. Put on your bathing suits. Let's get in the shower for two minutes. <laughs> two minutes, no more, and jump out. And so long story short, we fasted and we prayed. And we felt like the Lord said, nah, let it go. Let it go. We're like, oh, I don't want to let it go. It was hard. It was a hard one. We're like, and then, then the, the well guy was like, we can put a solar well in there. And it can pump all day long. We're like, is that possible? Yeah, for like six grand. And then another 10,000. And then it was just like, no, we're good. <laughs> we're good. But it's hard to let go. Especially, listen, all of us know how it feels to let go of something that we love, even something that's good, but we end up having to let it go. It's painful. Like, like even if it's a good opportunity, some of us have had to let go of some good opportunities that turned out not to be God opportunities, right? Like, like some of us, we had to let go of our high school sweetheart. She's going off to different colleges, and it was like, I love you, you love me, but going, we got to let go. Like Jack and Rose in the Titanic, it's got to let you go, Jack. Go ahead and save my life. I'm going to put you off into that cold water, right? <laughs> let them go. Like, like it, it's hard to, to, to let go. E even when we know there's things we should let go, things that aren't good for us, that God encourages us to let go, we still don't like to let go, right, of, of some pain, of some wounds. Like God says, man, you should really let that go. Like, you should really bring that to me. But we're like, no, no, just... I just like to, to hold on to this a little bit more. Like, we, we, we don't like to even let go of bad habits. Like, we know they're bad. We make resolutions every year because we know they're bad. We just don't want to let go. It, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to let go. What about our pride? <laughs> that was quiet. <laughs> like, it's hard when God is asking us to let go of our pride. To actually let go because we love to hold on. We love to be right, don't we? We love to be right. But, but here in America, I, I think we're kind of set up to fail. I mean, our culture is, it's a hoarder culture. Hoarder culture. It's true. 
In fact, if, if you were to look at how much we store in America, it will actually blow your minds. Like, anybody have one of these? <laughs> Two of them, somebody said. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be surprised if we spend $37.5 billion on storage in America. $37.5 billion. Like, that could have covered the Gulf War. That's a lot of money. Normally, we pay about $90 a month for a 10 by 10 storage that fits about two to four bedrooms that will never sleep for 30 years. And we just pay 100 bucks a month for some reason because we just don't want to let it go. But, but, but what? <laughs> hey, let me encourage you, brother. Go ahead and let it go. Let's take a moment. Let it go. But, but, but here, here's, here's, here's the reality is that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is something that Jesus calls us to on a regular basis. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, so grateful you're in the building today. And uh, hopefully, um, hopefully you have a great encounter with God today. And so what I'm about to say doesn't even apply to you. So you can just sit back and take this one for free. But as followers of Jesus, Jesus calls us to let stuff go on a regular basis. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, he is calling you to let some things go. But I'm going to explain that to you in just a little bit. But he calls us to this place of letting go. Like this should be the rhythm of our life. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6. It says, and when you fast, everybody say fast. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so that people admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Jesus said, and when you fast. Not if you fast, but he's assuming that this is just normal language of the culture. I mean, this is, this is a normal language for a follower of Jesus. When you fast. Now, now, fasting, there are several different ways to fast. You go on our website and we list a bunch of them. But biblically speaking, primarily the number one way is, is you would fast food for a period of time to seek God. You would fast food for a period of time to seek God that his purpose and his kingdom might be established in our heart, uh, both in us and through us, right? It, it's, it's a time that, that we, we, let us, we let go of some good things, because how many of you guys know food is good? Anybody love some food? Like food is a great thing, but it's a time that, that we let go of some food to, to connect with God, that we let go of the things of the world to connect a little bit deeper with God so that our priorities might be in more alignment with his heart, his will, and his priorities. That his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus calls us to fast, and he makes it seem like this should be regular, like just like you pray, right? Fasting and prayer should be coupled together. You're not just going on a diet. Shout out to all of them. There's like a million diets out there. But, but he, he calls, he says, when you fast, when you pray, when, when you're combining this beautiful collision of fasting and praying, man, it should be a normal part of your routine. It should be like giving. It should be like, uh, it should be like telling people about Jesus. It should be like reading the scriptures. It should be part of the normal flow of the Christian life. But if you were here for a series we did entitled The Table, we uh, had so much fun in that series. If you missed it, you can go online and, and check it out. I encourage you to. Um, because in Acts chapter 2, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to fellowship, 
Um, uh, and it's really just interesting as we look at that passage, we see us devoted to the apostles' teaching. We see ourselves a lot of times devoted to prayer, but a lot of times we don't see ourselves devoted to breaking of bread together, even the Lord's Supper. And so if you missed that series, go and get it. I think fellowship, table fellowship is, is, is a lost spiritual discipline that God wants to resurrect in our lives. But at the very same time, it's not only that we're, we're struggling a little bit in table fellowship, but I think it, we're struggling in, in letting go of some food for a season now, or, or, or whatever you're going to be fasting. I think fasting is also one of those things that we've just kind of lost sight of as the, the body of Christ. One of the most powerful, most intimate opportunities for many of us doesn't even exist. And, and, and I, I got to tell you, I, I think it's, it, it's, it, it doesn't exist because it's not easy. It's not easy to let go. We just don't want to let go. We want to hold on. We don't want to let go. But this is why I think it's a, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder for us when it comes to letting go. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, gifts from God can become God. The very things that, I mean, food is a gift. The things that God has given us, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our heavenly Father of lights, James tells us. But if we're not careful, those gifts can become God. And so, so it just becomes hard to let go. Like our lives are consumed with so many things. And a time of fasting and prayer would be a time that we'd let go of food or something for a, a, a season. And during the time that we would normally participate in that particular thing, whether it's eating or social media, maybe you're fasting, maybe Netflix, come on. Somebody needs a good fast from Netflix. That, that in that moment, what, what, what's happening is this, is that we're, we're, we're substituting that time for a time of prayer. We, we're, we're letting that go. We're letting go of the things of the world so we can connect a little bit more to the things of God. We, we take those, those moments and those opportunities to pray. But I think because it's so hard for us to let go, many of us are missing out on opportunities. See, fasting and prayer gives us an opportunity to say, hey, we're going to make sure that our hearts are not just seeking gifts, but the giver. Because sometimes our relationship with God can feel a whole lot more like a genie in a Bible than like a Lord and Savior. And so fasting, it, it causes us to evaluate some things a little bit. It helps us to see a little bit more clearly, are we seeking the gifts or are we seeking the giver? And so because we're not, you know, uh, willing to let go of a lot of things, because it, it can be a little bit tough, it can be a little bit difficult, I, I think that sometimes we're missing out. Because it's not until we let go of some things that we're able to reach for others. Yeah. And then we end up like my good friend, the spider monkey, South America. You guys know the spider monkey? Let me show you a picture of this cute guy. Isn't he cute? Probably the most stubborn and prideful animal on the planet. Like, seriously, these guys are so easily hunted, and maybe, maybe you've heard this, um, but in South America, how they hunt these guys, it, it's, it's pretty unique. They'll take, like, a, like a wood block. They'll, they'll cut a little hole into the wood, just enough, just big enough so the monkey can slip his hand, and they'll put a peanut at the bottom. The, the monkey will grab the peanut, make a fist, and because he is so stubborn and will not let go of that peanut, because it is his, he has grabbed it, he is not letting go, that when he tries to pull his hand out, He's unable to because it's not big enough. And the fact that they loaded it down with sandbags means he can't drag it. And so guess what? He holds on to his death. Right. Aw, right? <laughs> but no, man, just let go. It's like, aw, it's like, let go. You know, studies have been done. If you put a pile of peanuts right next to him, he still won't let go. 
I'm like, if you, listen, no, no, no joke, studies have been done. If they, they put piles of bananas. I let go of the peanut, bro. Get a banana. <laughs> Won't let go. All the way to its death. So stubborn. Like, so, like some of us, we look so cute, but we're too so stubborn. <laughs> like we look innocent. But sometimes there's things that have a hold on us. Come on, when you, when you try fasting food a little bit, I'm not talking fast food. I'm talking about fasting food. Some of you guys are like, I could fast food all day. Let's go, Jesus. I knew I liked this church. Man. But I think because, because many of us, we're, we're afraid to let go. We're, we're missing out that God has put so much before us. But because we're unable to let go, we end up missing. Because we're unable to let go for a time of fasting and prayer. We end up missing some special moments with God. And some of us never know what, what he has. I mean, there's so much that God wants to speak to us, time that God wants to spend with us, revelation God wants to give us, his presence, his power. I mean, just, just think about this for a minute. And, and, and believe it or not, it sounds really negative to let go, but actually letting go a lot of times is, is really good. And when it comes to fasting, fasting isn't, isn't like this, like, uh, 21 days, fasting and prayer. No, look, look, look what it says. It continues in Matthew chapter 6. It says, but when you fast, Jesus says it again. <laughs> Let me just make it clear. When you fast, when, not if, you don't need to pray about it. Were you going to fast this year? I'm praying about it. No, you don't need to pray. God has already said, Go. Now, now, if it's food, you're going to want to consult your physician. I didn't need to say that because I can get in trouble if I don't. So consult your physician if it's going to be food. But there's several things. We have a list of things on our website that you can do, that you can supplement those things for a time of prayer. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be obvious to men, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, fasting gives us an opportunity for the secret place. It's, it's an opportunity where, where God says, I want this just to be between me and you. So like, like we're doing this collectively as a church. But, but listen, you don't need to tell anybody what you're fasting. Don't feel obligated to be like, hey, been like two weeks with no food. <laughs> right? Or feel shame. You're like, I missed a meal. Or, you know, I, I'm like, no, no, no. This, this has nothing to do with anybody. This is between you and the Father. We're corporately doing it together because, listen, we believe in, in first things first, right? We believe in putting God at the forefront of our year. So coll collectively, and, and maybe you get a group of people around you that you trust and, you know, you're not trying to show off with one another that you can say, hey, man, hold me accountable to this. Man, be praying with us. You can be praying and fasting as we have been together. That's appropriate. But ultimately, this, this is about you and the Father, an opportunity where you get to be with him. Nobody knows. And he said, I, I want this to be so personal, so intimate. And he says, there's reward. There's reward when it comes to fasting. But it may not be some of the things that you think, the reward. And, and the guy that's going to help us, Pastor Chris introduced us to him last week. But if you're new to church or this is your first time, I, I want to talk to you about a, a man by the name of Abraham. Now, Abraham, let me give you just a short synopsis of his life. He, he grew up in a pagan culture where he worshiped false gods. God called him out of that pagan culture and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, man. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to the world. He said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. That's right. 
He said, you look up at the stars, you see all those stars in the sky? Man, that's, that's what it's going to be like when it comes to your descendants. More than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. More than you could ever fathom. There was only one problem. Is that, as we learned last week, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had no kids. And they were up in their 90s. So it was like, man, God, that sounds great. But how is this going to happen? And Pastor Chris, Chris did a great job of explaining that last week. So you can go back and listen to that message. I'm not going to dive in there. But what I will say is that God gave them a promise of conception that her womb would open. Now, Abraham and Sarah, like you and I, we have our moments where we get a little bit weak. And we know that God has said something, but we really don't believe it 100%. Kind of think we got to help him a little bit. And so, you know, this idea came up like, hey, what if I sleep with your handmaiden? Like, that might be a good idea. And she can conceive because obviously you're a lot older than I am or you're a lot older. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's how God is going to bring forth the fruit. So Abraham did that. He slept with her handmaiden. This is in the Bible, people. You can't make this stuff up. He, he slept with, with her servant. She got pregnant, gave birth to a son by the name of Ishmael. But then... They, they, you know, kind of re- regrouped, and God came through on his promise. Sarah conceived a child. The boy's name was Isaac. He was the child of the promise. And in the middle of this incredible miracle, God says, I want him back. I've given you a gift. I've given you a promise, but I want him back. Will you fast your only son? Let me show you what I'm talking about. The passage continues, and it says, take your son, God said, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Like, you got to understand, to have a son in this culture, especially for Abraham, his whole life, not having a son. I mean, this, this was a, a, a patriarch, patri, uh, whatever, you know, the other patriarch, that kind of a culture, where to have a son was like, was like gold. I mean, it was, it was like the most precious and prized thing. I mean, there, it, was a, it was a culture of honor and legacy, and heritage. And so the fact that, that Abraham, God gave him a son, it was like, oh my, this is, I love him so much. And God says, yeah, I know. So I want you to go to the land of Moriah. Those of you type A's already read my passage. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. He's saying, God, I, he's, he's saying, Abraham, I want you to let him go. I want you to let him go. Now, some of you guys are thinking, like, you mean I can actually fast my kids? I'm leaving them in grade school. Not picking. Thank you, Pastor Matt. No, 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 no. Get your kids. Can't fast your kids. But what God was saying was, listen, this is what you love so much. I just want to know if you love me more. Now, God knows his heart, and God knows his mind. God knows the beginning from the end, so why this? I'll explain that in just a little bit. But, but, but I, I think it's really interesting. He loved him so much. And what possible good can come from this? What possible good could come from letting the son, which he loves so much, letting him go? You know, Abraham, despite a couple of mistakes and a little bit of fear on the journey. He was a man of faith. The Bible says that against all hope, Abraham believed that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God. So much so, before they went up on the mountaintop, he said, we'll be back. 
We're both coming back. Meaning if I kill my son on this altar, I know God's going to raise him from the dead because God is a God of his promise. Can I just tell you that to the degree that you know the Lord will determine the degree you're able to let go. Because God is the God of the promise. He, he knows and he trusts his God. So, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to do, I know you're going to raise him up. We're going to come right back down and my descendants will still be like the stars. What, what, a, what a freedom that is to walk in a trust and a faith like that. Abraham trusts and believed God. But what possible good could come from this? And I think Abraham's going to help us see some, some, some aspects of fasting some benefits, some rewards that you and I can tap into. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. That fasting and prayer position us for direction. It position us for direction. The passage continues, and it says this. It says, it says, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, like there was some urgency, like, whoa, not into sacrificing kids and babies. That's not what we do around here. And Abraham responded, here I am. Here I am. You see, when you and I let go of the things that we love most, when we're letting go of that food for a season, we're, we're letting go of some, some God may even be calling you to fast, uh, even in regards to relationships for a season. Like maybe you've just been bouncing one after another. I was like, hey, how about we go on a fast? Like, like when we start to let go the things that we desire most, maybe some of our dreams, some of our plans, some of our pleasures, some of our technology, that, that when we start to, to let go of some of these things, many of which are gifts from God, what it does is it puts us in a posture of here I am. It puts us in a posture of here I am. And when you're in a posture of here I am, all of a sudden, God's voice gets a little more clear because you're postured to listen. All of a sudden, it's like, you know, I don't need to eat today. Here I am. I'm not going to be scrolling on social media all day today. Here I am. And it puts us in a, in a posture to hear. And when you can hear God a little bit more clearly, can I tell you that direction flows from that place? And I'll prove it to you. As we look throughout the scripture, six people responded in this way. Here I am. Abraham being the first one. And God said, what am I going to do? I'm going to bless you, bro, and you're going to be a blessing to the world. I'm going to make a nation out of you. In fact, the Messiah, the Savior of the world will come from your line. Incredible. More than Abraham could have ever believed as the posture of his heart was here I am. And then later, his son Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob. And God has a moment with Jacob, and, he, and, and he's encountering God in this moment. And, and Jacob replies, this just like his grandfather Abraham did. He said, God, here I am. I'm ready to continue the legacy. I'm ready to continue to, to step into all that you have for me. And God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And then we transition a little bit more, and Moses comes on the scene. And God hears the cry of his people who are oppressed in slavery, where injustice is at its peak. And God says, I have heard their cry. And here goes Moses living in the wilderness for 40 years because he made some mistakes. He killed a man. 
He's been in hiding, living in, in, the, in light of his failure, and God calls him and says, you're my guy. And the only thing Moses had, he didn't have a good mouthpiece. He didn't have a lot to offer. The only thing he had was a here I am. And God used him incredibly powerfully, set his people free, parted the Red Sea, and the list goes on. And then we have, we have Samuel. I mean, come on, this, this was God calling Samuel from an infant age, from a child's age, just a young boy. Can I just tell you, man, if, if you are a young person in this house, or if you have a young person, or you know of one, or you, like, are connected to one, it, listen, you don't need to wait till you're older for God to call you. It took him a little while. He's like, man, who is calling me? Thought it was the priest, and the priest said, no, young man, I, I think that's the Lord. And his response was, here I am. And he went on to declare the kingship of God. He went on to declare the divine guidance of God Almighty, the sovereignty and the power of God. Now listen, even if you're an earthly king, you are only as good as your subject to the sovereign one. And he counsels some of the greatest kings that Israel had ever known. And then we, we transition a little bit further, the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah came at a really uh, intense and heavy time of Israel. They, have turned, they had turned away from the promises of God, and they turned to promises, false promises made by the culture, by the world, by idolatry. They, they left God, and they were worshiping idols, and it looked heavy, and a lot of the, the, his message, it was heavy. But underneath it all was this de- declaration of God's grace of God's mercy, of God's power, prophesying of the Messiah, of the Christ to come that would save his people from their world, that those who are far off would be able to be brought close to God. Those who were exiled away from him as a result of Christ would be able to be brought close. And what did he say? He said, Lord, here here I am. And then we transition into the New Testament. You have Ananias. Pastor Dave talked about him a couple of weeks ago. A guy, just an average guy, just, just like you and I. All these guys, listen, all of these people are average people in the Bible, just like you and me. There's no difference. They're humans. They're not superheroes. They're real people, lived in historic, in, 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 in our history. And Ananias was just, man, he was, he was praying. God spoke to him and said, man, this, this guy by the name of Saul, I want you to lay hands on him. He's like, man, the one that's killing us? Yeah, that guy. And God used him to do a miracle in Paul's life. And Paul later went to go and be the greatest evangelist of the gospel. And we're still benefiting off all of the epistles that God used him to write in the scriptures. Because Ananias replied, here I am. See, see, fasting and prayer puts us in that posture. And, and what happens is during a time of fasting, we're, we, we get weakened. Like, like it, we, we start to feel the gravity of how much we need God on the fast, right? It's like, it's like if you're fasting from Netflix, you're like, what do I do at night? Oh, God. Like, you don't know what to do. Put your phone away. Hi, honey. Maybe we should talk. <laughs> right? Like you feel the gravity of it. If, you, if you're fasting food, like you feel your body just gets weak. But then your soul feels so alive. And it postures us. This here I am posture allows us to hear God's whisper 
a little bit clearer. Because sometimes God is not in the grandiose. Sometimes he's not in the fire. Sometimes he's not in the wind. Sometimes he's in the still, small voice. I was meeting with a guy on Thursday, and we're, you know, what, four days into our fast. And, and, uh, and before, I, as soon as I walked in and I saw him, I just, this whisper, God spoke something to me. And the number one way God is going to speak to you is through his word. So don't go get, get any ideas, right? Like, oh, I think I heard a whisper. Make sure it's God. It will align with his word, and there will be lots of confirmation if you do hear from God. Are you with me on that? So don't get that twisted. Um, but... As we were dialoguing, he said, I need to talk to you about something. And, and I looked at him and said, I already know what it is, man. And so we started dialoguing, and we were like, what does this mean? Like, this is, I mean, he was, we were just, it was just so pumped. And I was encouraged. I'm like, man, I felt like the Lord said, don't remember, Matt. Don't forget the whisper. Ooh, and I felt God say this. And this is for somebody today. So many times we're in a posture of here I go instead of a posture of here I am. And because of that, we miss the whisper. But when our body's weakened, the voice of God just comes through so much more clear. Like, can we turn on some AC? Because I see some fans going. Like, is it hot in here? I'm sorry. And so, so, so I, 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 I want you, I, I want you to, to, to lean into this just for a moment. That, that as we put ourselves in a posture of here I am, that, that we're able to hear God's voice a little bit more clear. That direction flows. And no longer it's here I go, but no, it's a posture of here I am. Our culture says here I go, here I go. I just, here I go. But fasting and prayer says, no. Stop. Here I am. Second thing, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Is that fasting and prayer help us, helps us to put first things first. Can I just tell you that how you order your life is important. And what you put first will order the rest. What you put first will order the rest. Like, you guys know how it is. Like, I should have started my day with God. And as a result, it just felt like you're kind of fumbling through the day. But then you, you wake up in the morning, you spend that, just, just that little time with the Lord, and it just feels like, man, it just sets everything else in pace, right? Like God, nothing may change, but God does something inside of your heart. Like, you're not as irritated or, you know, you're cutting traffic. You're like, man, I just spent some time in prayer. Bless you, right? Some of us need that on 580. Like, we need that. But the, but the passage continues, and, and it says this. It says, it says, don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God, and you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. See, God was after not his son. God's not after our goods, not after your food. He, he's given us all of these things. But what God is after is our heart. And he says, now I know that you fear the Lord. In other words, this, now I know that I have your awe. Nothing else in this, not even the greatest gift I've given to you has your awe. Only me. Only I have your awe. And so, so let me put it to you like this. As you and I fast and pray, it's an opportunity to put God first. When we put God first, it's a declaration of I fear you. Lord, I fear you. I'm in awe of you above all other things. Lord, there, there's, there's a fear in my heart in regard, a healthy fear, a, a, a reverent fear, a fear of awe, of wonder, of splendor. Like when we fast, it's an opportunity to put God first. When we put God first, we're declaring, God, I fear you. I am in awe of you. And the, the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, tells us this, that, that wisdom or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And so, so get this picture in your mind. 
Fasting and prayer put us in a position to put God first. As we put God first, we're declaring that we fear him, that we're in awe of him above everything else. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and wisdom sets everything else into order. It affects every decision you make. If you're operating out of the wisdom of God or just your own wisdom. I mean, it changes the trajectories. It, it shapes wisdom, helps shape our passions, helps direct our purpose. Come on, helps our relationships to know when to speak and not to speak. When to invest and when not to invest. And so wisdom begins to set the rest in order, our, our decision making. Come on, how many of you guys could use some more wisdom in your decision making? God is after his heart. You know, the prophet Jeremiah said that you will seek me and find me, God says, when you seek me with all of your heart. When you don't withhold anything from me. Can I just ask you a simple question today? What are you withholding? What are you holding on to so tight? What would you withhold from him? Because he says, you have not withheld anything, even the thing that you love the most. And listen, what Abraham was declaring, he was making a bold statement of this. God, you're first. God, you're enough. And God, I am in awe of you alone. Ooh, that's so good. And you say, well, that's, that's kind of that's messed up for God to do that to Abraham. It's like if God is omniscient, all-knowing, why would he do that to Abraham? If God already knew the decision that he was going to make, why would he even do that? I think St. Augustine said it best. He said it this way. He said, to say that God need not have tried the experiment is to say that because God knows the thing, God knows the thing known by God need not exist. Just because God knows doesn't mean that it doesn't please God to see that thing manifested. John Piper says it even a little bit more clear. He says it this way. He said, God wills to know the actual lived out reality of our preference for him over all things. And he wills that we have the testimony of our own authenticity, like on our lips, right, through acts of actual preference of God over his gifts. God may as well have not have created the world but only imagined it if his knowing what would be is as good as his knowing it in the very act. Can I just tell you, my wife knows I love her. But if I show up on our anniversary and her birthday and say, boo, you know my heart. (laughs) I didn't get you nothing, but you know my heart. Come on, God delights. Man, God delights to see our obedience in action. Like, like, are are you guys tracking me on that? Like, like this, it brings great joy and pleasure to the Lord when our lives exemplify this, this one reality that you are first. And fasting helps us to reprioritize our life to be able to ask that honest question, God, are you really first? Because I'm telling you, the God of the stomach is for real. Like, like it exists. And it comes out like a monster, like, Froyo! I'm, I'm just telling you. And God says, man, I just delight in seeing and knowing that I'm first, and really, it, it's, it's really like hedonism because it's really our best interest that he's first. Yeah. You know, there, there's a, a, um, a, a sitcom, maybe, maybe you guys have heard of it, it's called Friends. So Friends, on its, on its uh, final episode, had 52 million viewers. If 
final episode. One person in the last service said, it's still on. Watching it every day, right? <laughs> 52 million. Now, now, people were kind of blown away by that. There was a lot of skeptics that didn't think friends would get off the ground, but they failed to realize the deficit of relationship in our culture, how lonely people really are. And so when they saw a group of friends getting together, like having a small group, just a shameless plug that small groups launched today. So like if you want to find a friend, a godly friend, it's not going to look like this, friends. It's going to look like a, a godly friends, right, that, that you can actually do life with, that want to see God's best in your life. You should sign up for a group today. If not, I'm telling you, you're missing out. And Sundays, Sundays probably are okay, but they're not the best because you don't know anybody. And so, so, so get connected. But, but we also have to be careful because, you know, we also see in our culture that if we're, if, as much as relationship is important, and it is, it's vitally important. But we have to be careful that the horizontal also doesn't replace the vertical. Like relationship with one another, it's it's vital, it's important. But our relationship with God is the utmost important because if our vertical relationship with God is dysfunctional, then our relationship horizontally with one another will be dysfunctional. So it's best when things are in order because what you put first will order the rest. And so, so, you know, they're, they're, you know, this whole experiment, this whole deal with friends, 52 million I mean, people were just blown away. We want to be horizontal, but we got to make sure that we're sufficiently vertical. And fasting and prayer helps us to do that. It helps us to make sure that this vertical relationship is intact. Because today it's different, guys. Today in our culture, it's all about me. Like, I, it's about my needs as a pastor, I hear this all the time. Feed me, serve me, teach me, call me. Hey, right? It's just, and that's cool. Like, I love to do that. But then it's like, how about you serve others? We love the idea in our imagination. But we're like, God, you know my heart. I'm not going to jump on that serve team. I just can't. I, I'm going to come and just receive. Let everybody else, like, go. Like, I just want to get. Come on, teach me. But then God's like, well, okay. And so, so we have to be careful in our culture that, that we don't get dysfunctional. Remember, remember the, the, the cross has two beams, horizontal and vertical. And fasting helps us to turn our eyes upward. Fasting and prayer causes us to turn our eyes vertical. Otherwise, this is what happens. Let me show you. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. In other words, it got so horizontal and there was no vertical. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And now you guys are all messed up. It's horizontal, but you're not even, you don't even like each other. You're taking advantage of each other. You're stealing from each other. But my house was to be a vertical house, a house of prayer, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Can I just tell you, listen, fasting and prayer helps to keep our heart from becoming a den of thieves. Helps us to keep our heart now as the temple of the Holy Spirit, a house of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean you don't ask for things. That doesn't mean you can't fast, you know, when, when, you know for personal things and breakthrough and all that. No, that's great, man. You should do that. But can I just tell you, the longer that you're on a fast... And the more often you do it, you will find that the cry of your heart will move from more of me to less of me and more of you. And that's where life is best lived. 
And then the last one is this. If you take notes, you can jot this down. Is that fasting and prayer positions us for provision. Something in this, this, this moment of fasting and prayer, this act of worship, can I tell you what happens? Are you guys with me? I'm almost done. Is that God gets what he deserves, and somehow in this mystery, we get what we need. Let me show you. The passage concludes, and it says, Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in its horns, caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son, in place of his son, and Abraham named the place Yahweh Yiri, which means the Lord will provide. You know, there, there are some things that God will provide for us during uh, a time of fasting and prayer. As we begin to say, here I am, and we begin to reprioritize our life to align our priorities with God's, when we put God first, there's a provision in that, in the order. But it's not what, might not be what you think. You might not get the house you want. You might not get the car or the promotion. You might not get that quick fix that you so desperately want to see. But can I tell you what God will provide as we begin to order our life around him? We start to get some provision in our relationships. Matthew chapter 25. There's a passage where it says, it says, when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that you have somebody has an offense with you or you're at odds with somebody so why don't you go ahead and lay that, that, that gift there and go make that right before you come and present it it's a provision and this is what it says why don't you go and make that right first and then come now I know that that's not realistic for all of us some, some people you may have had odds with somebody that's passed away or somebody that's moved away but the principle is this can you do business with God in that moment I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will start to remind you. It won't just pop up in your mind just randomly. It'll be like the Holy Spirit saying, you know, that's, that relationship's not right. You know, it's not even fair. The Bible says that if I'm at odds with my wife, he doesn't even hear my prayers. I'm like, I can't even be mad at you. Like, like this happens in real life. I know we're not the only ones that argue, but when Jack and I will get into an argument, I want to be stubborn sometimes, and I try. Then I try to go to study, and I know, the, I know God's word. So I'm like, I'm trying to study for Sunday's message, and God's like, really, bro? So I'm like, sorry, Jack. Go make it right. Then come off. For God provides. There's an order to things. God also provides an opportunity in fasting and prayer for self-examination. You'll probably be doing a lot of it during prayer and fasting. And I think we see this in a couple of different passages. We see this in Matthew chapter 23 as the Pharisees. He was rebuking the religious leaders because they looked beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they were corrupt and full of self-indulgence, full of themselves. And he said, why, why don't you go clean out the inside of the cup first before you're trying to look all religious and holy on the outside? You know, if you do it first, like, like there's nothing worse than a clean cup and then looking inside of it and it's dirty. But a clean, a clean cup on the inside, I could deal with a little scuff on the outside. Let me just wipe that up. And that gives me much greater. It makes the cup look a lot better when the inside is clean. And Jesus said, man, examine your heart. Matthew chapter 7. He says, when it comes to judging one another, he says, listen, uh, before you deal with, you know, the speck in your brother's eye, why don't you deal with the plank in your own first? Like, take a moment and examine before you start hurling all those insults and judgments. Like, take a moment for self-examination. Can I just tell you, that is such a gift. 
Because if you're living full of yourself, it's not God's best life for you. Right, right, he, he provides an opportunity to be free from worry. Matthew chapter six continues and he says, listen, don't, don't be like the pagans. Like they chase after all of these different things. Like don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink, what you're gonna wear. All the wicked people go after that stuff because they need it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. In other words, the, 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 the time of fasting and prayer that we have many times will help us to discern between what we want and what we really need. Right, and so, so there's also, you know, during the time of fasting and prayer, there's, there's, there's power to overcome the enemy. Right, like we, we see this clearly, Mark chapter nine, Matthew chapter 17. Disciples, the disciples could not cast out a demon. Jesus came on the scene, casted out the demon, and they pulled him aside secretly and said, how come we couldn't do that? What happened? He said, guys, man, this, this one only comes out but by fasting and prayer. Prayer and fasting. Gives us victory over the enemy. And then I just think there's just a greater awe and, and, and wonder and, and, and understanding who God is in our life. There's a greater awareness of God in our life when we pray and fast. That's the greatest gift. All of a sudden, it's, it's, it, we, we, we find ourselves in a place where it's like, man, God, I miss this place you ever been in a time where you've just been dry maybe you had a couple good moments with God over the years but it's just it's, it's come and gone and then you fast and pray and you find you're like oh my gosh what this is what I was missing like when's the last time you longed for him when's the last time you yearned for God that as a deer pants for water so my soul longs after you Maybe it's time to slow down. Maybe it's time to, to put stop and declare fast. To push play. Maybe, listen, if you fast on a regular basis, continue to do that. If you're fasting for the 21 days, keep going. But how about we make this a lifestyle? And don't cheat. Make it real. God's not into your performance. He wants your heart. So don't make it a performance thing. God is after your heart. And I, can I just tell you, and what will motivate us on this journey will be when you and I see that Jesus first let go. That as we contemplate the, the beautiful reality that in all of his beauty, and all of his splendor, he let it go. That he might step out of heaven into bodily form, taking on the form of a servant. Even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But took on the form of a servant and suffered unto death for you and I. When you see that he let go first and he was the first one to say, here I am. Here I am for your joy, for your salvation, for your loneliness, for your anxiety, for your fear, for your depression, for your purpose, for your heart. Here I am. And when you see that he first declared, here I am be a whole lot easier for you to respond. Thank you, Lord. Here I am.